you have your Bibles with you, if you would open them to Psalm 36. In our past times looking at the great Psalm 36, we've found peace to calm us in a world of chaos. We found in the middle of that God, of course, and stopping to consider the attributes presented to us through the Word of God, through this very Psalm, which uh, as it proclaims God to be our hope and our help. And it proclaims him to be merciful as our first subject we looked at. And then we looked at the faithfulness of God. And last time we were here, we looked at the righteousness and justice of God. And as we slowed this down, some of you may have been expecting to have question and answer tonight. And this is the week we do our question and answer time, the first Wednesday. And I do have several questions to answer. But uh, tonight, we're going to have both. Uh, and what I mean by that is that we find ourselves coming to another attribute here of God. And while we're looking at this attribute of loving kindness, we will be answering some of the questions that are actually on the list of questions that I've got. Kind of neat that we got questions that the Word of God we just happen to be in, and the way God works answers those very questions. So the questions are along these lines, and they're worded a little differently because I've taken several and put them together, but... The question really was, God loves everybody, doesn't he? And if God loves everybody, then how can he allow people to go to hell? And those, that overlying question of God loving everybody the same way is kind of the general question that was asked in several different ways. And we hope to answer that. The correct answer to this question demands that we have a proper view a biblical view of God to answer the questions properly. It's not to be my opinion or Stan's opinion or anyone else's opinion, not the opinion of man at all, but it is the, the truth of God that tells us and answers these questions properly, all the questions that we answer. And having a proper view of God and his attributes is probably, is not probably, but it is the most important thing about us because it leads to salvation which leads to eternal life. And we will look at this time as we study this great God that we all serve, His loving kindness. If you would, read with me Psalm 36, beginning in verse 1. Actually, we read the title because the title was actually part of the canon and actually canonized. So it says Psalm 36, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. And verse 1 begins with the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself with his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good and he abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. And thy righteousness is like a great mountains, or like the great mountains. Thy judgments are great deep. Our Lord, or O Lord, thou preservest man and beast, 
In verse 7, our text, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Verse 8 goes on and says, They shall abundantly be satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the rivers of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. O oh, continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. And we'll stop there as we begin to consider the loving kindness of God. If you would, join me as we commit our hearts once again to God. Father God, we praise you for this text, for your word. It is a privilege to have the word of God in our hands. It is a privilege to be allowed and to, to gather together in a place like this, such as Liberty, that we might fellowship with fellow believers, that we might consider you through the truth of your word. Lord, tonight we pray and we lift our hearts to you, coming from a very dark world, but from the light that's within us, that is you. The goodness that you've given us, that we were made aware of, and that you've drawn us to. And we pray tonight, Lord, as we consider who you are, and as you reveal yourself through your word, that our hearts would be open and teachable to the work of the Holy Spirit as you teach us. And may our lives be changed and may they be affected in a way that we show obedience to you and to your word because of what we learned tonight. Lord, we lift our hearts to you now. Pray that everything that's said and everything that's done, that you are glorified. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. A.W. Pink wrote this. He said, the more that we are occupied with the loving kindness or the goodness of God, the more careful will we be about our obedience to God? If we are called to be like God, we must know what God is like. Amen? We come to the section of the psalm that draws our attention to the subject of loving kindness, as we mentioned. Verse 7, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust in thee under the shadow of thy wings. Our text tells us, if we look at it, it says that the great loving kindness of God causes God's children to put their trust in Him. Understanding this attribute of God will cause us to put our trust in God. And we think of the word trust and we ask ourselves, what are we trusting in today? Do we trust in a candidate or a politician or Someone to deliver us out of this mess? Are we trusting in our health? It will fail. Are we trusting in our wealth? Which will one day burn up. What are we placing our trust in these days? Wisdom and understanding of God's loving kindness will cause us to trust Him even more. It is with understanding and God-given wisdom of the loving kindness of God that we will place our trust in God. Therefore, it should be a great desire in our heart, and it should cause us great effort to dig like we're digging for gold, as if we were digging to find great treasure, to find this great attribute of God that we can put trust in Him, that we might have understanding and wisdom, that we might grasp this 
topic of loving kindness, this very attribute at the core of who God is, that we might better represent Him and live a life that shows Him to a world that is very mixed up in what it thinks of love. As we often do, we see a subject like this, the loving kindness of God, and we think, I've already had this, I've, I've got this, I understand this, we can skip this, or I can skip to the end of this. Or heaven forbid that we come in and think that the loving kindness of God is a boring, uninteresting subject so that we withdraw from even considering it. The question we ask ourselves is, do you find this important as we do any other attribute? Do you find them important to know? How important should this one be? In Psalm 63, just a few pages on, a few chapters on in the Psalms, David writes this about the loving kindness of God, and it gives us an idea of just how important this should be to each of us. In Psalm 63, David writes in verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where there no water is. Verse 2 says, to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. And verse 3 says this, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift my hands in thy name. David states here in Psalm 63 that the loving kindness of God is better than life. I bring this challenge to all of us, and myself included, Tonight, as we study this subject, it caused him to raise his hands in the name of God, to lift up his heart. It is a picture of total praise and total submission and total awe of who God is because of his loving kindness. When is the last time we thought of any attribute of God that brought us to a place of praising God like what he just stated? When have we ever found anything that we would say that's better than life? It should be. And when we know the one true God the way that we should through the word of God, that is where it takes us to. And who doesn't want to be there? We have to consider God's word and the revelation of his loving kindness. And then we must adjust our thinking and our lives So that we might find out that this loving kindness of God is better than life. And if it's to be true, we must understand that what the love of God is, what this means, the loving kindness of God. And love is a very distorted picture for us. We can look at the world and look around at all the lost people. And lost people, as Stan says often and said it before, and we've taken it to be a slogan we use often. Lost people act like lost people, and we shouldn't be surprised. But I'm talking to the church. Love is a distorted picture for us. We love pizza. We love chicken. We love our dog. We love our family. And we love God. And I don't think I need to tell you that each one of those are different in the way that we love. And it's the same with God. When we're looking at the love of God, the loving kindness from God, we look at two types tonight. We're going to look at the general love or what is called common grace. That God has for all of his creation. And then we're going to take a look at this special love that God has. A specific love, if you would. For those who are truly born again believers. 
So we look first then at what we call the general love of God, or some people call that the common grace. And many of us jump immediately to John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and therefore God loves the world and loves everyone in it. And it does say he loves the world, but is this the same love that he has for his children? Is this what is meant, the same love that he has for the whole world? Does that mean that he loves everybody that way, that he loves his children that way, and he loves the world that way? Because it's often said and even asked in some of our questions, God loves everyone the same way, doesn't he? Is that biblically true? Well, the answer is no, he doesn't. If God loved everyone the same way, then everyone would get saved. So there has to be a difference. It doesn't make God bad, it just makes God God. And he's the one who gets to make the decision. He's the one who sets the standards and makes the decision. That's why John 3, on down, the, down that chapter in 3.16, we tend to read that one verse and never read the rest of it. But in John 3.36, later on in the chapter, it says that those that are outside of Christ, that the wrath of God abides on them. Verse 36 of John Three says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides or remains on him. So it makes it clear, as other verses do all through Scripture, and for sake of time, we won't go through them all. I will supply them to you if you need them. But that God's hatred and judgment are upon those who are unrepentant and those who do not repent. But at the same time, God's general love and compassion for the lost is also seen. We see the love as he shared with, I think I shared that in a sermon not too long ago, of the rich man, the rich young ruler who came to him. He said that he looked at him in love. The word there and the way that that's used in context, it's the general love that he has for his creation. Similar to what was stated in Luke when it says that he's a friend of sinners. It's a general love that he has for all of his creation. John 3.16 doesn't say that God loves everyone precisely the same way. It speaks for his general love or his common grace for all creation. And we see that. And we see that how he sustains. I prayed earlier and I do that often because I come to an understanding just how much we owe him. And he does sustain us. And to come to a realization that he holds our next breath in his hand. He sustains our very next breath. Our life is sustained by God. We should be grateful and thank him as the God who sustains all things. And we see it all through scripture. We studied just recently that he holds the water by his hands in place. And in Hebrews we find out in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 on through to verse 3. That... He upholds the universe by his power. It says, He hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, who he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made all the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he made himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. It's an example of God's general love as he cares for his creation. We see it also as Jesus reminds people in Matthew that it is God who makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. That is, 
the love of God on all creation. He does love the world with this common general love. It's not a love that leads to salvation, but it is a general love because it is his. He owns it. If it led to salvation, then the whole world would be saved. We also see the general love of God and how he restrains. And we had a sermon recently on God's restraining hand and how he restrains evil and how he puts governments and people in place, ministers of God in Romans, we found out, that should not be feared, but who do good for God. He's put them in place and stand, led us to how we are to approach our government. We understand that. And it is God who puts people in place to keep things in order. That is the love of God as he sustains his people and his creation. We also know that he limits a person's sinfulness and his behavior. He uses the conscience to do that. In Romans 2, we know that even lost people, the Gentiles, who do good, who do things or keep the law, and even though the law is not to them, they have the law written in their hearts, and as their conscience bears witness to them, that's God's given restraint and God's love for his creation. His common grace for fallen mankind and you look at all those things just put together you he has a general love or a common grace seen and continue to care for all creation his restraining hand on all of our actions to keep us from becoming altogether just ungovernable which we're very close to not being that way but it is God's restraining hand the Bible says that that keeps it from being even worse And he gives us a conscience. All mankind has a conscience, a sense of right and wrong and behavior. And God does love everyone as he loves all his creation. And it is called the common grace of God or the general love of God. And we praise him for that. And that's who he is. But there's also this special love, this salvific love, as I think Spurgeon is the one who said it as I was reading through some of the commentaries, the salvific love. Try spelling that and getting spell checked to like it. <laughs> we see this clearly in Ephesians 1 if you want to turn there. We'll take a look at that together. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. The specific love of God Verse 3 of Ephesians 1 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of his children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In this section of scripture we see this specific or this salvific love if you would. The love that leads to salvation if you want to say it easier. And it's clear that those who have received Jesus Christ. Who are truly born again. Are in a category different than the general love. This is definitely shows different they are the beloved it says the redeemed the the truly born again person they are the beloved spoken of there in verse three who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing 
those whom God chose before the foundation of the world, it says in verse 4. Those who in love he had predestined to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. The word here used for beloved is agapio. And I think maybe Josh used this word the other day. And it is the word beloved. It's the way it translates in English. A little English class. I had to look this up and this I learned from a seminary professor. And it is true. This is a perfect passive participle. And I know you want to go look that up when you get home. All that means is that whenever you look at this love, it is determined by the will of God that the child of God receives it passively. It's based on the absence of earning the love or the pleasure or any righteousness that's found within us. It has nothing to do with earning. It is a passively bestowed thing. It's given to someone freely. We do nothing for it. We can do nothing to get it. It's not raising our hand. It's not praying a prayer. Scripture says salvation is of the Lord. We've all gone astray. And there's none that see God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5 says that not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. That's the selective, the specific salvific love of God that's presented in the scripture. When we were enemies of God, God saw fit to save us. Spurgeon says this in his defense of Calvinism sermon that he presented. Man without God hates God. And that hatred of God continues until God sovereignly and with loving kindness regenerates man's heart so that he will now be able to grasp the things of God unto salvation. Amen. I don't know how you could ever improve on that statement. Titus 3.5 makes it clear that he saved us. And that's a verse to go read at any time that you're challenged. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We are declared righteous and in the beloved, like it says in Ephesians, solely by the grace of God. Apart from anything we can do. No works that we can do. Sometimes we read stuff like this. And some will read this. And some will read through the scriptures and see this. Some will hear sermons like this. And have understanding. Others will read of the loving kindness of God. And as they do with the other attributes of God. They have no understanding. They cannot understand why God would. Or why we would even take time to consider these things. Why we're not being more relevant and they have no understanding of what the Word of God says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives a reason that some have a no understanding when he says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can they know him because they are spiritually discerned. To lost people, this is all foolishness. It was to me at one time. I thought it was foolishness. 
to the saved person, to the born-again person. These are the words of life (laughs) unto salvation. God in His loving kindness. It's what we mean when we love Him only because He loved us first, the Scripture says. We were unable to. And He loved us enough. That is what love is. That He loved us in such a way that He did not allow everyone to go to hell. And that He made it this way. He is God and He is sovereign. And we praise Him for it. hope that answers the questions that you're given. But it sure does give us a great picture of the loving kindness of God, doesn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your loving kindness.